but they're, I just I do not see this team as constructed having a legitimate chance to make the playoffs this year. They seem like a six and ten or six and eleven football team. That's, that's about right. Yeah, that's that's what that's, they seem like. That's about right. Which is, and that's still four wins. I know. You sure? <laughs> I, I don't know. Like, I think it, they might be more it, more like five and twelve, four be. and thirteen. The Titans are bad. They're a bad football team. Who's right worse now. in the AFC than the Titans? I got two teams I, I will say confidently are worse in the, in the AFC than the Titans. The Patriots and the Broncos. And I think the Titans may be next. I mean, right now in their division, they are last. Yep. Houston looks like a solid football team. They do. I, yeah, I, don't, I mean, the Raiders have a pulse again. I think the Titans right now are the third worst team in the AFC. So. What the hell is that? Stone on air coming up. Completely unsanctioned by the church. Stone on air. Whatever, let's just do this. Stone on air. That's exactly what I wanted to hear. Give human beings opportunity, and you'll be absolutely shocked with what people do with it. Stone on air coming up. Stone on air. All right, everybody, welcome in. How are you on this Thursday, October 19th? It is the Stone on Air podcast, and let's go October. I am done with you already. Let's move it along. Let's just, let's just keep on going. Time flies, right? Whether you're having any fun or not. Well, let's just get these three months done and get rid of 2023 altogether. My name is Brian Stone. Thanks for finding the show. I'll lay things out and get things started here in a matter of seconds. going to be a uh, show worth a damn. <laughs> I, I know I say that from time to time, and sometimes I mean it, sometimes I don't. It is kind of late on record night, and it's just been a day. It's been a day, it's been a month, it's gotten cold, and it's not even cold. Like, it is remarkable how the cold weather just ruins my life, and, and it's not even cold. It's not even cold. Uh go ahead and turn that down and get that out of the way and there's just so much more to come um on the front end there that is uh, a show called robbie and rex road out of nashville 1025 the game i believe is the uh the frequency i know the station's called the game and yeah the titans suck so i don't have to worry i mean they're terrible i don't know how much you're paying attention or care but they're awful braves are done um i guess real quick i'll go ahead and lay out the show in the uh, second segment of the show, or the, well, I'll just go ahead and say, final segment of the show, I'm going to talk baseball. So for those of you that don't have any interest in that, you know, you can check out at that point. In the second segment of the show, just for, really, it's just a slow week. There's really nothing going on here locally, and anything that there is, I'm going to hit on here on the open. Uh, I'm going to have some fun with the... Uh, the Toy Hall of Fame nominations are out. I always like a list. I like nominations, and I like awards, even if it is something stupid like toys. And really, are toys stupid? They're really not. They're pretty instrumental in most people's lives. So I find it somewhat interesting. So I'll do that for, yeah, I don't know, about half the segment. And then the other half, uh, technically more serious, but not really. We all pretty much knew uh, everything we needed to know about this, if you cared. The uh, Natalie Holloway, um, the 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 girl who went missing in 2005 in Aruba, and that dude, I don't have his name in front of me right now, Joran something, Vandersloot, the, the Dutch kid. 
Well, all that has come to kind of finally be put to rest, the whole story. He's admitted to some things. And um, I'm going to read a little bit of that, the latest on that, but also because I've been watching a lot of crime dramas or crime thrillers or whatever they're called on uh, just network TV and the popularity of true crime podcasts and TV and all this kind of stuff. Murder porn if is what it's called on, on social a lot. I'm going to do that the second half of the second segment of the show. So nothing that matters in the final two-thirds, that's for certain. Um, here on the front end, I, I do want to say, I think I'm going to try to get the show back to a Wednesday download starting in 2024. I think it makes more sense. I think that's a better day for it. I believe that once Thursday and Friday roll around, people's weeks are, you know, I don't believe it. I know it. They're starting to wrap up. And then once, you know, I know once I get into the weekend, everything that just happened during the week, it's over. Like, it's done. If I missed a show, if I missed a podcast, if I missed a television program, if I missed anything from the follow or the, the previous week, then I just move along and catch up next week. And since this podcast is designed kind of like how television show programming is presented, uh, I think it'd be a better idea to get it out on a Wednesday. I don't remember why I went to Thursday uh, several years ago. I'm sure it just was life was in the way. And um, whatever that reason was, it's gone now. So I believe I will get to a Wednesday uh, uh, download day, the midweek download destination for thousands in the city of Chattanooga starting in 24. Also planning on doing some special features, some additional shows, um, interviewing other people from around the city. And that'll be sometimes very interesting and sometimes not as much uh, for two reasons. One, uh, a way to expand the show and expand it to other people who have no idea who I am, which is growing like daily. I become more irrelevant in this city every single day. It's like that apex of having any relevance whatsoever, which you can argue if I ever did at all. That apex is long gone and now it's kind of going down. So I'm going to try to figure out different ways to expand it. And um, just because there's a, I know a lot of people and there's might as well talk to them, right? And um, so that's, that's the ideas going into the new year. So I'll also get you three pieces of audio. And I had to throw all this together on day of. Um, so I kind of half-assed a little bit. Another leftover from the 1993 stuff I was doing the last few weeks. It's been 30 years since Pearl Jam versus their second record was released and my dates are getting mixed up. I thought it was today, the 19th, October 19th. I remember it well. I'll speak to it more here in a few minutes, but maybe it wasn't. Maybe it was the 12th based on something I saw and then something else was maybe it was the 5th. Either way, it was October of 93, so it makes that 30 years old and uh, one of the pieces of audio will have something to do with that. I think I'm calling it the best thing, another thing, and the coolest thing. So we'll get to that here in just a few. So as of record time, there's still no Speaker of the House. I mean, American politics. Oh, my God. What the hell is good? <laughs> I mean, it's, it would be hilarious if it wasn't so borderline terrifying. And I think this is a case of, I mean, Jim Jordan luckily didn't get it. Uh, that guy is just a, you know, a Trump puppet wannabe dude. And just a totally awful guy. And I think this is a case of, like, Democrats, you know, be careful what you wish for deal. It, how funny would it have been, or maybe that's not the right word, if the Democrats would have all voted for Kevin McCarthy to keep him? That would have been the plot twist that we all needed, right? 
Like, oh, we don't, we'll vote you out, Kevin McCarthy. And then almost he'll be replaced by Jim Jordan. What? Nobody wants to live in that world. It was the same with uh, get Trump, impeach him, get him out. Why? So the guy who thinks you can cure homosexuality, Mike Pence, can be the president? Do you hear yourself? Or the people now, uh, impeach Biden. Why? So Kamala Harris can be president? Now, I don't have a problem with her. A lot of people think she's dumber than you know anything. Maybe she is. Maybe she's not. But, I mean... <laughs> I mean, it's just everybody just doesn't think before they just start s- screaming. I, I I guess they don't. So we'll see. Maybe they'll have a speaker by the time you hear this. I don't think so. I don't think I don't think there's votes going on right now. I'm not sure. I barely pay attention to the governing of my country. I barely even pay attention. Um, let's see. So much for cryptocurrency not being blood money. Uh, I um. I'm still so confused when it comes to crypto, and I wish I wasn't. But one of the things that I listen to a lot on a show called Free Talk Live, it's the only programming from the local talk station that I'll listen to, and it's could it's picked up by anybody. It's just it's free uh, programming that they plug in, and you can get it anywhere. And it's a libertarian based show, and it's all crypto is like. 50% of everything they talk about. And a lot of what the the, the, the selling job is on it, because they also have most of their advertising is crypto, is that uh, if you, you want your money uh, to, to not be blood money, get in crypto. If you're tired of funding wars, okay, well, so much for that. Hamas had increasingly used cryptocurrencies, credit cards, or contrived trade deals to avoid mounting international restrictions. This is from Reuters. Quote from Tom Robinson, the co-founder of some whatever it is. Hamas has been one of the more successful users of crypto for the financing of terrorism. In 2021, Hamas-controlled crypto addresses received more than $400,000. That has been cut down here recently. As of last week, there's only been a few thousand dollars that have been traced through cryptocurrency. And... um, yeah, so yeah, so much for it not being blood money. It very much is so, and that's all I'll have on that. There was a meeting of uh, city leaders, police, and I guess anybody who wanted to show up at the Waterhouse Pavilion downtown here recently um, in the last few days, I believe it was earlier this week, in response to the killing of Chris Wright and that story from a few weeks ago downtown. And that video, I finally found it today, that I, I didn't know if it was released or not. The, the the gathering was just for them to all talk about the same talking points. I made some highlights here, but I'm not going to even bother reading them. I, I saw the video, and um, I was prepared to see a guy being belligerent or um, very confrontational, and that was not the case. And it's not that I wanted it to be the case. I just thought that it probably was. Uh, It does look like dude is intoxicated. It's a little bit of swaying in the walking. There's no audio. It is color video, actually, um, from the surveillance down by uh, 1,000 block of Market Street uh, near Pickle Barrel and Patton Towers. And it's not much of an interaction. It's not as much as I thought it was going to be. And regardless, it doesn't matter, clearly, obviously, but it's pretty chilling when dude steps up and then it cuts off as he goes up, pulls a gun out from his, like, waistband, 
and it's pretty chilling. Um, I saw it through one of the local news channels. If, if you Google it, you'll find it. I found it through Reddit is, is where I searched to find it, really, is your best social media to find stuff like that. And, um, yeah, I mean, I think it's a random act of violence in a random act, random circumstantial situation. I don't think downtown Chattanooga is dangerous. I just don't. Uh, let's see. Zarzars is out this week. Looks like it's just going to have to be a place that I don't go to. I am going to regret it technically, but not really. Um, I planned on trying to go have lunch there, but they are done tomorrow, the 20th. The developers or whoever, you know, whoever bought it said that they were going to keep it open and make it bigger and better. Yeah, right. Yeah, right. There's, I don't believe that for a second. The final day of actual... Zarzars is tomorrow, and I, I'm not going today, and I'm not going tomorrow either. There was an op-ed in the Chattanooga.com. Zarzars was Chattanooga's Cheers. Goes on to talk about how great the hamburgers were and how great the food is. And really, and I don't trust people when I hear all about how great uh, food is. I, I generally, now that I know how to cook... I tend to think I can pretty much make food better than almost anybody. Now, when you're talking like up higher end dining, that's that's different. But if we're just talking about some burgers and some meat and threes, I mean, I'm sure it's fine, but I can't imagine I'm missing anything that's going to like change my life. So I will not make it to Zarzars before they close, but I wish Dixie and everybody involved um, – all the best. Here, just got a few minutes left here before I have to start wrapping things up. I want to give you a Chattanooga Motor Car Festival review because it was a lot of fun. Real quick, though, Finley Stadium revenues are up 25%. And I uh, talked about it the other week where I met with Brian Wright, the executive director of the facility. And he is on my list of people to have on the show of the special features. I'll, I'll give it a specific name once I come up with it next year. But he might be the very first one I reach out to. As he did agree to do it, but I mean, by the time I come back around, I don't know if he'll care or, or remember that. Food and beverage up 17%. Facilities rentals up 44%. Uh, stadium club rental, $15,000 up from uh, last year. Um, they have ex- spent $35,000 in joining a music booking conglomerate. Doesn't say who it is, like an AC Entertainment or something like that, but it doesn't say who it is. This is from the Chetnikin.com as well. It says it will help Finley market itself as a music venue. They could have paid me $35,000. I could have helped them out with that a little bit or cut that down by 75%, and I could have helped out with that. And just a heads up, after the Friday after Thanksgiving, Ice on the Landing is actually going to be at the Pavilion this year. It's been at the Chattanooga Choo Choo for many years um, in a row here recently. But with all the construction going on over at the Choo Choo, and maybe just because it's probably a better place to do it at the Pavilion. Anyway, so the Chattanooga Motor Car Festival, I will go quickly. It was a lot of fun. I've been a few years now. I knew it would be. The biggest thing was, and I'm going to play a clip from uh, the B-52s here in a minute that I just quickly found today for uh, the coolest thing, that their show on Friday night was fabulous. It was so, so good. And uh, I'll get to more of that in a minute. Uh, But I also saw the Afternooners on Saturday. They might be Chattanooga's next big band, Um, Behold the Brave. I'll also talk more about them here a little bit later on. 
they seem to be uh, have a trajectory that's headed that way. You know, Strong obviously has been making a lot of noise for many years now. The Afternooners are a fun, really good sounding band. Enjoyed some of that on Saturday and then all the shows. And then I was sitting around, Jonathan Sussman works with the city in the parks, whatever it's, it's not Parks and Rec, whatever it's called. I see him for a few minutes and we talk just, just briefly. And just before that or just after that, I can't remember exactly. I was there with my my dad, and I was sitting over wherever it was, over on Chestnut Street. Beautiful day. And I look over right next to me, and I'm like, that guy looks like John Oates. Damn it, man. That looks exactly like John Oates. Anyway, move along. A little bit later on, like less than an hour later on, I see a picture of Sussman on on Instagram with him and John Oates. <laughs> I was like, it was. It didn't look like John Oates. It was John Oates. Uh, also heard through the grapevine that Alice Cooper might have been in town for the uh, for the car show as well. I'm not sure if that's true. That's just what I heard. But I know that uh, John Oates was. And then the Meekum, Meech, I call it Meechum, but the Meekum uh, auction, you know, it after a few minutes it gets a little boring, but uh, it's, it's pretty neat, you know, to see a TV show kind of filmed out in front of you there. So fun event. I enjoy it. And I'm not much of a car guy, really. I mean, I'm really not. I, I appreciate a car, but... I really just need the damn thing to get me where I'm going. So let's do this real quick. This is today's best thing. Joe Buck, uh, Aikman, Troy, sorry, Troy Aikman do Monday Night Football, and Buck does not do postseason baseball anymore because he works for ESPN exclusively doing football. And for 25 years, he was the voice of, of Major League Baseball postseason especially. And I love Joe Buck. And this is him talking as Troy Aikman tries to pretend like he's a Rangers fan. This is today's best thing. Speaking of October, how about my Rangers? Now they're I'm on that bandwagon. Oh, yeah, you bet you I am. I'll give you $100 if you can name four players for the Rangers. You know, there was a time <laughs> when I didn't have to work with you in October. I don't know. I don't, I don't know what happened to those days. Yeah, those are long gone. You're stuck. <laughs> By Rangers. Third down and one. I think that's hilarious. I just am such a big fan of Joe Buck. I just uh, hate watching random Monday night football games these days. Uh, this is today's It's another thing. It. I tried to find something different. I won't bore you with what it was. But at this time, 30 years ago, Pearl Jam was on the cover of Time magazine. And the Versus record had just been released. And I went to Chicago with my dad for a... I don't know, long weekend or maybe a week or five days or whatever it was. And I remember it very vividly because that was my favorite band then until now. And it was the first time I was, you know, the anticipation of a record to be released. 10 was already a thing by the time I discovered it. You know, probably been an album for a year and a half, maybe upwards of two years before I really figured out who they were. And then my love began but the anticipation of verses and then the record smashing sales of that first week and then getting that Time magazine and then getting that CD and my my Discman and going to Chicago and and just hanging out with you know my dad and my grandparents and my family but just listening to Pearl Jam nonstop it's just a memory I'll n- never forget so today's another thing is just a couple of reports about that uh, that time frame Time Magazine has struck a blow for 20-something rock and roll. The Seattle band Pearl Jam beat out various world crises for the cover of the new issue. The Rolling Stones in 1989 were the last rockers on Time's cover. Pearl 
Jam's long-awaited second album, Versus, arrives in stores this week on CD and cassette one week after its release on vinyl. All versions of the new album are going out minus the VS period title on the cover because the band changed the title at the last minute from Five Against One. Titles will appear with the second pressing, which probably won't hit stores till early next year. How much anticipation is there for the new Pearl Jam album? Well, Time Magazine has a photo of the band on its cover this week, the first time it's had a rock band on its cover since the Rolling Stones four years ago. And I forgot, and uh, does that sound familiar, World Crises? Um, I forgot that they changed the name of the album from Five Against One to Verses, and so they had it, uh, the rich initial run was without the name of the album on it, and then the second pressing had the name. So there was a lot of collectability to that album. And that's why I'm getting the dates mixed up because they released the vinyl and then they released the eco pack. I won't bore you with reminding you what that was. And then the jewel case itself. So that was a, that was a big time as a 13 year old, uh, grunge rocking, loving little kid. And finally, just quickly, because I wanted to play some, uh, B 52s on the way out here. This is, I didn't, I forget their names. The redhead from B 52s. She is talking about how they develop their style as a their fashion sense as a band. This is today's coolest thing. Our image is something people talk about all the time. Like, how did you get your image? Who does your look? And it, it's formed uh, in a natural way. We just went to thrift stores and found crazy stuff. And, but we were very influenced by Fellini movies. And we had these old Vogue magazines. And they were so surreal that the fashion was so really just bold and out there that image we kind of wanted to turn it on its wig head in a way you know just kind of reveal the artifice of it all like the Fellini it's just so over the top that it's kind of not sexy but we didn't really try to be look punk particularly we just sort of formed this look by grabbing stuff from the thrift store and putting it together it was not a glamour thing at and all and i'm again I, I threw things together so fast today i forgot to write her name down uh the two ladies and then the the guy the, the three original members they they're awesome i mean it was so good those ladies sang the harmonies so perfect if any of the three were to to, to have a knock against it would be the dude he sounded the worst of the three, but he still sounded fine because he doesn't really sing. He's got, I can't remember what they call it. I, I Again, I don't have any damn thing in front of me. But he does that talk singing thing. And when they played this, Rome, holy Jesus, it was flawless. And these women are 70 plus years old. They've been a band for 45 years. And when I saw it was their farewell, they're doing a, a bunch of residency in, L, uh, in uh, Las Vegas. And, you know, how many farewells have they had? I don't know. All I know is, if I didn't go here, I was never going to see them. And even fighting off anxiety and Friday night of just get me home, uh, I said, screw it. And I went, and I loved it. And yes, yes, I threw some of my circle of friends. Yes, I called Rock Lobster Red Lobster. It's like, yeah, I think they closed with Red Lobster. Someone's like, you mean Rock Lobster, bro? <laughs> Whatever. Yes, whatever it's called. I just want to hear Rome and I guess Love Shack and uh, My Own Idaho or whatever that song is. So it was a big time. Uh, coming up next, the dude who is now officially admitting to killing Natalie Holloway and the not new at all uh, obsessions with crime dramas that I am now starting to kind of take kind of an interest in myself. And the nominations 
for the Toy Hall of Fame. Hang tight, I'll get to it next. Times with the Strong Museum of Play. Today we learned the 12 finalists for the National Toy Hall of Fame. At least three of these toys you see here will be inducted by the fall. Out of this strong group of 12 finalists for the National Toy Hall of Fame, seven of them are first-timers. Shane Reinwald with the Strong Museum of Play says it's fitting for the 25th anniversary of the hall. So really it's quite a range of toys this year. You look at the 12 here, toys that a lot of people say, I can't believe that's not in yet. That is a favorite. There's no worry, no threat of us running out of toys. And I think this is particularly, especially for year 25, this is a strong class. This is Driving and Crying, a toy never played with. It's not a toy at all. Before I get to this, um, I, I want to mention, I meant to in the open, at least just mention that we lost Steely Bruno here locally. And I'm not going to act like I know who he is, because I don't. And I try to keep up with everything. I really do. And this is one I just missed, but I saw a lot of pouring of uh, love on social media for um, Steely Bruno. I know his connections go to Malele Roots, I saw, and so much more that I didn't have time to spend going uh, back and, and dig into it. It does look like he has had some health issues recently. So um, just so anybody who were, wasn't aware, local musician and uh, beloved, certainly based on the social media outpouring that I saw. So I wanted to make sure that at least didn't go unnoticed, though I am ashamed to say I didn't, I didn't know who he was. And I certainly didn't know him. Um, at all, but uh, a lot of people did. So, the National Toy Hall of Fame, and I think this is a fun list every year. Um, there was one year I remember; it might have been when it got its most uh, like media play, if you will, media kind of talk. Was when the stick <laughs> was a nominated for uh, one of the toys Hall of Fame. I, I don't. I hope it didn't get inducted because a stick is not a toy. I mean, somebody made the argument that it was, but that would not have been me. So they they induct three every year. Real quick, what is the National Toy Hall of Fame? Well, it's exactly what it sounds like it is. It's located in Rochester, New York. And the criteria for induction include icon status, that the toy is widely recognized, respected, and remembered. Longevity, more than a passing fad. Discovery, fosters learning, creativity, or discovery. And innovation, profoundly changed play or toy design. And the Hall of Fame itself was established in 1998. In the first, like, 10 years, things like Barbie and Crayola crayons, uh, rector set, Etch-a-Sketch, Frisbee, Hula Hoop, Legos, Marbles, Lincoln Logs, Monopoly, 
Play-Doh, Radio Flyer Wagons, Roller Skates, Teddy Bear, those kinds of things. And then I thought, okay, what is the definition of a toy? And the simplest is something for a child to play with. So I guess if you want to say that a stick is a toy, if a child is playing with it based on that very simplistic definition, that it is something that a child can play with. So this year's nominations are, drum roll, um, baseball cards. Now, while I cherish and love baseball cards, are baseball cards a toy? I don't. I don't see this. I don't understand why we would consider baseball cards toys. They are, as a matter of fact, they're the opposite of toys. They're not for children to play with. They're for collecting and saving and preserving and potentially trading with monetary value. I would say they're the opposite of a toy. A Battleship is one of this year's nominations. That is a game that I never understood how to play. I tried to pretend like I knew. If I was around people as I got a little older as a kid that were playing it, I didn't want to feel stupid. I the, I don't know if it was just because I just didn't pay close enough attention or if I just was stupid and my brain just hadn't decided to understand, to learn how you coordinate whether you hit somebody's battleship. And then when kids play games, they cheat so goddamn regularly that it's hard to play. A game that's easy to cheat at is difficult to play and have fun as a kid for the obvious reasons. So, I mean, I don't know if it's worthy, but I hated it. Bingo. Now, it kind of feels like bingo would be like the first overall pick of all time of toys, but then you get in, also, you can have someone come in and say, well, bingo's a game. It's not really a toy, and it's not really for kids. If you want to have that argument, you can uh, came out in 1996, Bop It. Now, in 1996, I was 16, so I wasn't exactly caring anything about toys. I don't know what Bop It is. I can't even tell what it is. It says it debuted in 96 and combined electronic game processes with free play and physical elements in an innovative way. The handheld game challenges players to follow voice-recorded commands, and then it cuts off here from the rest of the details. Never heard of it. Don't know what it is. This one's interesting because I just watched, I am a regular on the History Channel of the Food That Made America series. Well, I also, well, I tune into just about all of them of the Made Americas on that channel. And the toys that made America. I just saw the Cabbage Patch Kid doll episode two days ago on Sunday. Three days ago on Sunday. And the dude who... who did Cabbage Patch Dolls, he, well, surprise, surprise, stole the idea from somebody else, which is so often the case in American innovation and products, uh, many times anyway. And uh, it's, I, 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 even as I watched it, I couldn't understand what made Cabbage Patch Kid Dolls so popular. Like 1983, 84, 85, somewhere in there, as they were first released and launched in 1979, it was a tear down the door, let me in, I've got to get my kid a Cabbage Patch doll, or kid, or whatever. And it had, like, adoption papers, and one of the guys, like, that just seems weird to me, creepy. 
And one one of the guys before Cabbage Patch took off, who was doing a similar knockoff version that were really popular, I think in the Midwest is what it was saying, some some pocket of America. And it was like a storefront that you went to and it was designed like a hospital where you went and picked out your Cabbage Patch doll and then signed the adoption papers and all these things. So weird. I, I, I you know, A lot of times I'll watch something that was bef- from before I was born or when I was just a little tiny baby and think, oh, now I get it. it makes more sense now. And I watched the Cabbage Patch Kids one and thought the whole time, I still don't understand what made that a popular uh, toy. Um, another one hidden here on the nominations is Choose Your Own Adventure Game Books. You remember these? I like these, but speaking of cheating, I've always struggled reading. And when a book allowed me to jump way ahead, I felt like I was I had read more. I had accomplished like a false sense of accomplishment. When I was three quarters of the way through the book, I've to me, I'm look. I'm reading a book, and look how far. Look how mom. Look how far I've read. I haven't read any of that crap. So I would pick whichever story led to me going further into the book, and then whatever would get me to the end quicker, so I could say, "Hey, look, mom, I or whoever's near, I just read a book when I didn't actually do anything." Uh, Connect Four. I'm surprised is not there already. Uh, the Kindle. So Barbie's in number one pick of all time in 1998, and maybe it's because of the, not maybe nothing, because of the movie, I'm sure, the Ken doll is now up for nomination, and my guess is it's going to make it because it gets more press, because really, none of this means anything. Another nomination is the Little Tykes, what does they call this? The Coxy Coop? Now, when I see it, now I'm like, oh, yeah, that thing. It first came out in 1979. Just if you think of that little yellow kind of top thing that goes over the red looking little box car thing that the kid rides around in, you know, it's for like four year olds. As soon as you saw it, you'd be like, oh, yeah, that thing. And just a couple more here. Nerf toys, just generally Nerf toys, not the Nerf football, not the Nerf gun, but just Nerf in general. Uh, Certainly a powerful brand. Slime. Now, Play-Doh is in early on. Slime, more of a 90s thing. Certainly seems like it has just as much merit as Play-Doh. And then the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles as a whole. And it's easy as an adult. Well, I guess if you got kids, it's not as easy. But it's easy to forget the power of a brand sometimes of 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 a children's toy or action figure tv show or whatever the the teenage mutant ninja turtles are as powerful and as popular of a brand now as they ever were so certainly hall of fame worthy now in the major league baseball hall of fame they have a selection committee called the um uh, what are they called the veterans committee that puts in people sporadically over the years who they feel were left off by the writers for whatever reason. It's just a special selection committee. Every now and again, they put a couple of players in, and they kind of are doing the same thing here. So this year, there's five additional um, last-chance offerings to five toys that have not made it in the past. One of these will get in. So this year, there will be four total inductions. Of these five that have been passed over, the pogo stick... Never understood how anybody had fun on the stupid pogo stick, but that was also a long, primitive time ago. 
Um, I don't know what this is. The Fisher Price Corn Popper. I don't know what that is. My Little Pony. Pretty surprising it's not there. Uh, Transformers, speaking of powerhouse brands, and the Transformers are not in. Also, a episode of Toys that um, uh, Toys that Made America that I just saw an episode this week. It was it was the brand new episode this past Sunday. Uh, Hasbro, Mattel, the fight over who was going to own that property. Pretty good stuff. And then finally, the Pez dispenser. And I don't think the Pez dispenser is a toy. I think it's a little stupid piece of plastic crap that spits out candy. But hey, nobody asked me. All right, so let's switch gears. So the latest on the Natalie Holloway thing here in a minute, if if you know, if you or if you care, you, you likely already know. But my, um, and I've been meaning to talk about this on the show for a while. It's just been on my kind of like get around to it when there's nothing going on list. Is that my kind of weekly yeah, routine, I guess is what you would call it, has turned into Friday nights. I come home. I make dinner. I usually do laundry. At least every other Friday for sure I do laundry. And... I watch a couple of different things, one of them being two hours of ABC's 2020. And I've known of that show my whole life. I didn't I don't I don't think it's always been crime, murder, mystery dramas. Maybe it has, but that's all it is now. And I've found myself being just enough hooked to it that I now want to watch it every Friday. It's not that good of a show. And there's probably way better ones on Netflix, which I pay for. And there's probably even just better YouTube channels for free. But that's just become my routine. And the crime, true crime world has been quite fascinating to a lot of people for a long time. And it's pretty easy, I think, to understand why. Because sociopaths are absolutely fascinating. If you take the brain waves of Jeffrey Dahmer, I think they would be similar under certain kind of scientific brain testing as, say, like Mozart or John Lennon. Like, I think a mind that can be that, um, what am I trying to say? I mean, just out of the ordinary, not normal, right? Not people who write music that changes the world are not normal and people who kill underprivileged people and de- and and cannibalize them clearly obviously are not normal i don't think i'm too far out of bounds to say that these brain waves might be similar in some kind of scientific studies and so anybody who is on a different level for whatever reason is a fascination to many of us. But, I mean, think about it. I mean, how many times have you truly thought about it in your life, even, let's just just say, when you're younger and less mature, that at some point you thought, God, imagine just being able to get away with just killing that person or just doing something really terrible. And then, you know, your normal, humane, rational mind immediately is repulsed by such a thought, right? So we all to a certain degree, I think, can somewhat identify with that. That's what makes it so fascinating. And when you watch these shows, there's it's always the same thing. I mean, I'm, I'm assuming the producers want it this way, but you get the, the same old nonsense of, oh, I can't believe it. That person wouldn't hurt a fly. Oh, he seemed like a really nice, normal dude. And it's like, really? Are you sure? Like, Were you really paying attention? And are you really telling the truth? 
uh, somebody that I worked with for years when we would talk about interviewing styles and radio work and industry stuff. I, I can't remember what it was enough to regurgitate it now, but we were the, the basis of the conversation was when you put a microphone in front of somebody, it changes them generally. So if you want to sit down, you, you have a great conversation with somebody one day and you thought, man, that'd be great if we recorded that. That would be a great show or that would be a, a great interview or, or it would be good content for something. Well, that's because you didn't have a microphone and a camera and a light. As soon as you do those things, it changes people. It changes their brainwaves. It changes how they interact. It changes how they talk. Until you get used to it and you do it for years and then it's, and then it's normal. Me, I don't feel right until I have the microphone. The microphone is what makes the, you know, puts the thing in motion. And so I'm, I'm guessing that when you put microphones and cameras in front of just ordinary people, they just revert to the simple thing, the response, which is, well, I just can't believe it. I would have never imagined. I know so many strange people. And my guess is, so do you. And to a certain degree, I'm attracted to strange weird and out of the ordinary i myself am the strange and unusual as i somewhat quote uh, winona rider from beetlejuice so if you heard that i had people chained in my basement that i had kept slay enslaved for <laughs> years on end or some other kind of demonic kind of behavior I, I don't have a basin, by the way. Uh, <laughs> I would think or I would hope that someone would say, you know, that Brian dude was always a little off. Never really kind of did things like everybody else did. Like, now it's kind of making a little bit more sense. That's what somebody should say. I think many people would say, oh, Brian seemed like a pretty cool dude to me, I guess. I don't know. Wouldn't expect him to enslave people in his basement. Um, I guess you could get both of those. But I know many that if you told me that guy is doing some demented ass shit over there, I'd be like, yeah, <laughs> oh, of course he is. Have you ever been around him? Come on now. And I don't ever, I don't mean that I wish I could be in a situation like in a murder trial or on a murder documentary or some kind of mystery thing where somebody wanted my thoughts. But there are so many times when I see people in these scenarios where I'm like, why can't I be the one there talking right now? Somebody needs to make sense of all this, and I'm the only one that could. I'm the only one that could say, yes, that guy. Of course he's the guy. I've thought it my whole life. Or, you know, whatever the situation is. And that's one of those, here's what I would have done moments, and I'm kind of being flippant overall. Not kind of, I'm totally being flippant. But there's a lot of weird people out there. And sometimes they go a little nuts and do crazy stuff. And then sometimes people are just sociopaths. Um, I do believe that somehow people are just evil. Like, I don't know how to explain it. I don't have any spiritual nature to that thought or to that opinion. But I do believe that evil just sometimes exists. And this Jordan Vandersloot dude was exactly that. Um, of course, the pretty blonde girl that disappears in 05 in Aruba... You know, that's going to captivate America, whether you're into true crime as a general genre of, of entertainment or not. That is something that none of us could turn away from. And dude is finally admitting to it. Now, they put him on a, uh, a lie detector and the whole deal. Just try to make sure he's not trying to make this more about him. Now, 36 years old, has pleaded guilty to one count of extortion and wire fraud in exchange for just a 20 year sentence. 
It also goes on top of a 28-year sentence for another murder of a young woman in Peru in 2010. And you might be thinking, why is this guy not down for murder for Natalie Holloway? Well, I thought the same thing, and it's because the statute of limitations in Aruba has expired. The judge said the plea deal required that Vandersloot provide all information that he knew about Natalie Holloway's disappearance and uh, in real time and to take a polygraph test to make sure he's not lying. Now, the problem with that is sociopaths can trip up a polygraph test because I'm sure, you know, most of us do, that measures your... Um, you know, your heart rate and if, if there's how it goes and changes and I can't speak it in technical terms, but we all know how that works. If you're a sociopath, you can trip those things up. I am such a nervous wreck every minute of my life. That thing would be redlining like beep, beep, like just flying off the page. Um, this is what he says, according to an interview conducted by his attorney. That him and Holloway were on a beach kissing. She started to resist, but he kept touching her, so he need she need him between the legs. And then he kicked her, quote, extremely hard in the face. At that point, he said, quote, she was unconscious, possibly even uh even dead, but definitely unconscious. He picked up a nearby cinder block and brought it down on her face. He said he dragged her body until he was knee deep in the waves and pushed her into the sea. Um, anybody who followed that story closely at the time surely could not be overly surprised by any of that. So count me in. I always have been to a small degree, but more and more count me in as one borderline obsessed with the criminal mind and the sociopathic mind because it is quite the interesting phenomenon in uh, not just America, but all things of the world. And we'll leave everything on that one sitting right over there. So the Major League Baseball season for me is over, and I came to a conclusion that I had never thought of this deeply before, that most people, if they heard me say it out loud at the time, would say, yeah, you're just overreacting, dude. And over a week later, I haven't budged from that thought. I'll tell you what that is and talk baseball to wrap up this week's show. You've been warned. Coming up next. Now more Stone on Air. It's about to get all stupid up in here. StoneOnAir.com. But my bigger problem, Tony, is the way the postseason is laid out. It works against great teams. It works against everybody. It's random. The more teams you put in the postseason, the more random the results are going to be. Seven of the last nine teams that won 100 games have not gotten out of the first round. Baseball fails. Its postseason is failed. They need to go back and reconstruct it, and they need to take some of these teams out. They won't do it because they're not going to lose money. No sport does that. I'm happy to be critical of baseball. I don't think it's the number of teams, Mike. I, I think it's the delay between games. Yeah, that I think baseball is a daily sport. Yes. And so a team that's built to win 100 games is better day-to-day yes. than a, a pause of two to three. That's 
That's my question. And Tony, you, I agree with you. All right, well, that's the whole segment. Thanks for listening. See you later. Bye. <laughs> uh, this is Behold the Brave. Local guys. I have somewhat met them, but I don't know them. And this is another case of me trying to keep up with everything, but I just can't. I, uh, The Voice is a show on NBC. And I and I know there's some kid that's a, a contestant on that show that plays at Champions. Okay? And then I thought I saw another little vignette of one of the members of this band. Great, great band. Behold the Brave. On that show as well, or another show like it. And then when I quickly went to try to find who it was, I couldn't remember the name. I couldn't find it on YouTube. I couldn't find it with a quick search. And I just gave up. And I had a whole plan to do at least a portion of a segment on it, and I couldn't find it. So my apologies on that. But this is a song called Flowers from Behold the Brave. couple of just catching up things in personal life so i had an outdoor cat i was feeding so it's hanging around and now i have like three other hood cats that hang out at the house and a possum now lives here and my oven uh, i i believe as of a few hours ago doesn't work so yeah life is fun as winter approaches so winter is coming in my life so Anywho, where was I? Where was I? Oh, yes, that's right. Baseball. Yeah, yeah, baseball. That sport that I love so much. Everybody loses their minds over football, and baseball has always been my favorite sport. If you're here regularly, you already know that, all right? I believe that baseball is one of America's finest and greatest inventions. It is the most Fun game to watch and to play, especially to play. Absolutely loved playing baseball. I never was very good at it. I was just good enough to kind of hang around. That always irritated me in my life that I could never be better at it. But it is a wonderful game, and I will never not love the game. But Major League Baseball has ruined this sport. They have absolutely destroyed this this league has destroyed itself and this i do not believe my opinion and thoughts will change on this much at all and, and that's probably foolish to say I, i'm sure it will change somewhat once the spring rolls around my favorite time of year i'll get excited for ball again I'm just going to assume for purposes of this segment today on October 19th that you understand where it's at currently. The Braves are out. They lost in the division series, which they've done so many times in the past. And sometimes that just happens. Shit just happens. Sometimes the best team doesn't win. In other sports, sometimes the best teams don't win. But in most sports, the best teams usually do win. Not always, but they usually do. And it's best for the sport that that's how it plays out. Clearly, that's an opinion of mine. Someone could think differently and think that the underdog story is always the best. 
We all love a good underdog story. I love a good underdog story myself. But what drives ratings, what drives interest, and what drives the most important part, dollars and money, are the big market teams, the big spenders, and the big winners. That's what drives all industry, for that matter. And because of the uniqueness that is the game of baseball, sometimes it just doesn't work out that way, and there's not much you can do about it with expanded playoffs. Now, for the longest time, it was just winner of the National League and American League play the World Series, and that's it. They play a long-ass season, and the two top of the mountains play each other, and there's your champion. First place meant everything. Winning the pennant meant everything. Divisional play came, I believe, I'm going on memory, I believe in 69. Maybe it was 62, somewhere around there. Added more teams, but still not that many more. Only a total of uh, four. Yeah, just four total. The LCSs. And then the wild card additions doubled that number to total play teams in the postseason of eight. And then they've added more wild cards since then to get now the total, I believe it's 12, which is getting damn near half the league. Teams that are barely above 500 over a six-month season are getting playoff rounds in Major League Baseball. And we're leaving 100-win teams to sit around for over a week to wait to play. And it's not just that. You could even say, well, Brian, it's only five days that the number one seeds had to wait. And it, that's not true. It's not just five days. And it's it works out very well for somebody like me to have this argument that all the teams lost. And almost all of them were damn near swept. The Dodgers, the Orioles, the Rays, the Braves. With all the added extra days off between the rounds the end of the season, and then the five additional days, the Dodgers and the and the Orioles and the Braves specifically, 100-plus win teams, played three or four games over the course of almost 12 full days. That is not how this game is designed. This game is not designed to play three or four times in the span of nearly two weeks. At no point in the season does this ever happen. This sport is a daily game. It is a grind. It is a seven-month marathon. And it, this is not how this is supposed to be laid out. What Major League Baseball has done has said to you and me and all of us that this regular season doesn't mean a goddamn thing. And for years... Years and years and years and years, likely since the beginning of time, when there was only two that went to the World Series, the pennant winners and then the World Series. There was probably all the way back in 1910 when somebody, jumping Jimmy Phillips, was saying, these games don't mean anything, Jimmy, this, this is it, this is a travesty, right? Like, this has been going on where somebody's been saying that this season is too long, that these games are boring, and there is no reason that they should be doing this for six and seven months out of every year. It's preposterous, it's absurd, and it shouldn't be happening. It's nonsense. The people who have made that argument for likely 120 years 
well, they, you win. They win. That argument now has been solidified, and Major League Baseball has done it to themselves. They win. You're right. This season doesn't matter. Why am I watching this for seven months? I was a year younger when this season started. It wasn't a year ago. Just trying to add emphasis to how long this is. But yeah, you're right. That person is correct. Why am I doing this? Why am I watching this on a Tuesday in May? Why am I excited about this? I'll always be excited about opening week and opening day in April. I'll never get over that. But why am I watching this in, in July when winning a pennant doesn't mean anything? The sport that put the emphasis on first place more than any sport in the history of American sports for a hundred years out of the 140 years that it's been a thing the that the puts the most emphasis on first place mattering now has completely made it absolutely obsolete it does not matter whether you are the diamondbacks and are still playing and you won 84 games or if you're the Braves and you're done and you won 104 means nothing and while there are technically tiny little incentives to be that plus 20 winner team like the Braves are, it's minuscule. And in a game that is stretched out for that long, it's so small. The incentives are so small, they basically don't exist. And if Major League Baseball is going to say to me that these games don't mean anything and first place is just a fake pennant you put up on a light tower at Truist Park in Cobb County, Marietta, Georgia, if that's all that it is, and that's all that it matters, and that's all the incentive you get is to have that one time, that one day of the year where you get to celebrate that, and that's on, that's the only incentive. Outside of that, nothing else matters. You're telling me it doesn't matter. If you don't care, why should I? Now, I'll always watch this team play baseball, but I have, for the last two years now, spent absurd amounts of money on cable packages that include their games because Major League Baseball, just they do everything wrong. They're the stupidest sporting organization in all of North America. They are absolute numbskulls. They make their sports so difficult to find. They play their postseason games during the goddamn day. They're still doing it. There's only four teams left, and they still play some of the games during the day because the arrogance of that league, that they think that people like me who think that this game is great are going to watch this crap. We're not. It's a regional sport. We only care about our teams. We care deeply in the pockets of these regional teams. We, I don't care about the Orioles. Screw the Orioles. I don't care about the Astros. To hell with the Astros. Oh, the Rangers are good. Who cares? This league is, it's pure idiocy. And it always has been. And they're always late to everything. And they change the rules decades after they needed to be changed. They stick to, to tradition more than anything. That's why it's an old man game, an old man's game. Part of the reason why I love it so much 
are all the same reasons I am absolutely fed up and and hate the league. I hate them. I hate them. They've ruined my sport. And I am not going to dedicate six and seven months of my life anymore to watching this. Yeah, sure, I'll watch it when it's on occasionally on the weekend. But I'm not. I'm, cable's gone. I'm hopefully by the time you talk to me next week, I won't have it anymore. It's absurd how much I spend on this, and it's primarily to watch the Braves, Big Bang Theory, Shark Tank, the toys that built America, food that made America, and ABC 2020. Who killed? Uh, Bobby Sue on a Texas highway in rural Houston. Get out of here. I'm done with that mess. And yeah, of course, that's a ton of anecdotal stuff that doesn't have anything to do with Major League Baseball and nobody would care about that. But, I mean, six, seven months. Uh, I'm No. 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 Uh, I'll, I'll check Twitter or X or whatever the new thing to come down the social media world over the next decade or so, if I want to see who did well that week and catch some games occasionally here and there. But this being my television show, because that's what this is. Braves baseball is my nightly television show for six to seven months a year. And I used to say that, like, proudly. And no more. No. I Why? Why watch games that don't mean anything? When the league tells you it doesn't matter, listen. The league's telling you that these things don't matter. And they're totally fine with their top teams. Their best story in all of their league is the Orioles storming back to be a 100-win team. Baltimore is historically a great baseball franchise. The Dodgers historically and presently are a powerhouse the Braves same deal historically and presently Tampa Bay presently has changed the way baseball is played managed designed scouted all gone only one win the miracle in Atlanta the one moment I got out of all this if you know you know gone see you later done Days in October where games are not being played. Days and days and days. Upwards of almost a full week of calendar days in October where there's no games being played. Why is there there should never be an October where there's a single day that baseball is not being played? What are you doing? Major League Baseball. The thing I tell myself when I'm trying to talk myself back into some sense And when I ask somebody else who I think is being nonsensical, take a look at yourself in the mirror and just say, what are you doing? What are you doing? All right. (laughs) That's it. That's it. I am frustrated as hell, and it has not cooled off at all. Hopefully by next week, I'll find out what the hell's going on with this voice television show and who the hell's on it. And if it's somebody from this band, Behold the Brave, I apologize for not knowing more about it and telling you more about it because that's cool as hell, and they are damn good. Now, the guy who just plays at Champies and sings, you know, covers Blake Shelton, not as fun of a story, certainly is cool, happy to talk about it. But um, that's it. I got to run. Hey, thank you so much. Love you, and uh, we'll do it again 
one more time in this crappy October next week. See you later. Bye. Somebody, yeah, tell me, tell me, tell me.